Welcome to Kelly Dry's Full Spectrum Podcast, bringing together thought leaders in the technology, media, and telecommunications industries to discuss legal issues that are expected to impact today's organizations and tomorrow's marketplace. Show notes and additional episodes are available at kellydryfullspectrum.com. For more in-depth commentary, head to our blog at comlawmonitor.com. This podcast is produced by the Kelly Dry Communications Practice Group. Hello, and welcome to the Full Spectrum Podcast, a podcast series by the Communications Practice Group at Kelly Dry and Warren. I'm Steve Augustino from the Communications Practice Group, and with me is Chris Laughlin, also from our group. Hi, Chris. Hey, Steve. How's it going? Very good. Very good. Uh, today, we're going to delve back into one of our popular series, the Inside the TCPA series. This will be the ninth episode in our series, and we are going to talk today about the FCC's robocall mitigation programs. So it's another topic on the efforts by the FCC to find a way to stem the rise of illegal robocalls, which are flooding the network and causing uh, problems with trust in the voice communication system. So we're going we're gonna to delve into that today, just to set the background for you a little bit here. Uh, Chris and I got together back in November for one of the earlier episodes on this, where we discussed the carrier implementation of a call authentication system called Stir Shaken, and what challenges carriers might face as they are implementing those requirements over the next few months. So today, though, we're going to build upon that. We're not going to talk about Stir Shaken itself. We're not going to talk um, in any detail about the requirements for voice service providers to implement those, uh, those new authentication procedures. I would encourage you to go back and listen to our previous episode if you want to get those details. Instead, today we're going to focus on one of the consequences of the, the stir-shake-in call authentication system, which is the requirement to implement a robocall mitigation program. So we're gonna talk, talk today about when providers need to implement a robocall mitigation program, what a robocall mitigation program is, and give you some pointers on some things that we think that a effective mitigation program should have. So before we do that, I wanna set the stage here on anti-robocalls actions. And um, Chris, I'm going to turn to you on this. So we're, as we're recording this in March of 2021, we're about two months into the Biden administration. We have a, an acting chairwoman, Commissioner jo, uh, Jessica Rosenworcel, pardon me. And um, so uh, Commissioner Rosenworcel's had a little bit of time to get, get going here. Or, I'm sorry, acting chairwoman Rosenworcel. Old habits die hard here. Um, but Chris, I want to ask you, are we seeing anything significantly different with the FCC's initiatives to combat illegal robocalls? Yeah, not really, Steve. Uh, stopping illegal robocalls is a bar bipartisan issue, as we've talked about before. And Acting Chairwoman Rosenworcel is showing that she's going to be just as aggressive in this effort as former Chairman Pai was. Um, at the most recent FCC meeting, just her second meeting as acting chair, she announced her first set of actions to uh, combat illegal robocalls. Um, sort of the, the main one here, the, the, so the 
big one here is that um, the FCC issued a $225 million fine against the telemarketer that admitted to making 1 billion illegal robocalls. Many of them were spoof calls, um, including to numbers on the do not call list. This is the largest robocall fine that the FCC has um, ever uh, issued. Uh, in addition to that, she launched this robocall response team within the FCC. Um, the team will consist of over 50 FCC staff members across the bureaus and offices there. Um, and they're gonna be tasked with coordinating and implementing the agency's anti-robocall efforts, um, which includes enforcing the law uh, against providers of illegal robocalls, developing new policies to authenticate calls, um, and trace back illegal robocalls and um, educating providers and other stakeholders about um, how they can help stop these calls. So, you know, we can expect that the commission um, uh, under acting chairman Rosenworcel will continue to be fairly active. And then of course, as part of this, she also sent out um, letters to the Federal Trade Commission, the Department of Justice and the National Association of State Attorneys General um, to renew state federal partnerships to combat uh, illegal robocalls. So a lot of activities there. Yeah, quite a lot of activity. Yeah, and one other one I want to highlight, and we'll tie into this. It got less um, press at the time, happened the same day as this, but obviously you know, it was dwarfed by a $225 million fine. Uh, but the FCC sent out another series of cease and desist letters to six service providers that they are alleged are transmitting illegal robocalls based on investigations conducted by the FCC in conjunction with the industry traceback group. The letters like before asked these providers to investigate and stop the illegal calls on these specific customers within 48 hours, or if they fail to do so, then the FCC will authorize other downstream providers to block all of that service provider's call. So it's either block the bad guys on your network or be blocked entirely yourself. And we'll see, we'll, talk, we'll tie that into some other things that are happening later mm. uh, on robocall mitigation. I think we're gonna see more of this type of action as we move forward. Mm -hmm. So that's the stage, all of this is happening while the FCC and these providers are implementing the stir shaken deadline that we made reference to before. That deadline is coming up, it's June 30th of 2021. There are a number of exceptions for, for providers that can push that out for two years, in some cases indefinitely. Um, those are beyond the scope of this particular podcast. They were covered in our previous podcast and I encourage you again to go back and look at those exemptions as they, um, in order to get more detail about what they are. So Steve, how do the robocall mitigation programs come into play for, uh, I guess, for providers that, that haven't implemented stir shaking? Yeah, well, well that, that's exactly it, uh, Chris. So the, the stir shaking call authentication program is supposed to make it easier to trace the origin of calls to give trust in the name and the caller ID that is being transmitted with the call. It won't necessarily stop illegal robocalls. Um, it's not the silver bullet, if you will. But what the commission has put in place is a series of rules that says, 
if you haven't fully implemented that stir shaken system, then you need to provide a robocall mitigation program. So it's kind of the, the backup to the stir shaken approach for stemming illegal robocalls. And um, Chris, now, you know, I mentioned the, um, you know, the June 30th deadline on this, but let's talk about how, what the FCC has set up um, in terms of the process for implementing and filing these robocall mitigation plans and um, how they'll be enforced. So, so why don't you turn and give us an overview of really what happens when a provider is gonna need to file this mitigation plan? Right, so the, the mitigation program is gonna to have to be filed with um, a certificate that all voice service providers are gonna to have to file. And we, we talked about this in the, the November episode, but um, you know, providers have to file a certificate in a robocall mitigation database about their implementation status of stir shaking. But if they've gotten one of these extensions um, for implementing stir shaking, they also have to file their a robocall mitigation program um, with that. And uh, that program has to explain the type of extension that the carrier or the provider received, the specific steps it's taken to avoid originating illegal robocalls and a commitment to fully and timely respond to all traceback requests and cooperate with um, investigations and the stopping of illegal robocalls that are using its service. Now, the database is still in development. Um, the FCC uh, is going to release a public notice no earlier than the end of this month, March 30th, that will say more about the database, what the expectations are for um, providers, and then the actual certificate and mitigation program filing requirement is not gonna start any earlier than June 30th. It could be later depending on the status of um, the database. Okay, so it's coming up soon as we are, are looking at this. And, and I, wanna, I wanna point out that um, the FCC has put some teeth into this certification program and the filing of, in the, of the mitigation plan. Um, what they have put in place a rule that says that after this certification filing requirement is in place, after it goes into effect, then 90 days later, a downstream provider is gonna be prohibited from accepting traffic from an entity who is not listed in the database. So if you don't file a certificate and you're a voice service provider, then your downstream carriers are to refuse to accept any of your calls. So it's another one of those sort of blocking mechanisms if you're not playing the game here and not participating in the industry-wide effort to combat illegal robocalls. So um, that presents some obligations and some interesting things you know, for the downstream providers. Now you have to put in place a mechanism to check the database, to determine whether you're interconnecting with providers who are certified um, there are some open questions about how often you have to do that. What are you going to do if name changes and things like that are, are applicable? So there's a lot of kind of little details there, but I don't want to miss the forest for those trees. I really want to focus on the robocall mitigation aspect of this. Um, so 
Chris, let's start diving into what needs to be in the mitigation plans. You talked a little bit about that already with sort of like three high level things, but you know, has the commission kind of given a checklist or, or you know, a list of exactly what needs to be in these? Have they given us a model? What's, what do we know about it right now? Yeah, not, not exactly. The, the FCC is taking a, it says a non-prescriptive approach um, that's very intentionally non-prescriptive on what has to be in a robocall mitigation program. Um, and it has provided some fairly high level directives um, for three sort of required elements. Um, as, as some of these are sort of familiar to what it explains um, needs to be filed with the um, certificate, but the, the program has to um, explain how the provider is taking reasonable steps to avoid originate, originating illegal robocall traffic. Um, the FCC recommends reasonable analytics um, as I mentioned, the provider has to commit to respond to industry traceback group requests, and the provider has to cooperate in investigating and stopping any illegal robocalls. This is the thing that we're like hitting on throughout this episode. They have to actually um, stop the calls or, or face the consequences. And this is, you know, I think for a lot of providers will be seen as a departure from you know, prior expectations to complete all calls to make sure those go through. Right, right. Yeah, and, and I guess the last thing the commission did, which doesn't add a whole lot more detail for you, is uh, on December 30th of 2020, the FCC released an order under the TRACED Act, which um, identifies a few more best practices that providers uh, can follow. And of course, with best practices, part of the issue is do those become de facto minimum standards, uh, particularly in an enforcement context, if uh, you're not following them. But commission there talked a little bit about um, subscriber vetting practices, some of the things that you should, should do in looking at your new customers um, and customers who are renewing services with you and um, ways in which you can validate that the callers are permitted to use the numbers that they are calling from uh, which can get complicated when the provider sending the outbound call is not necessarily the provider that assigned the telephone number that is being listed in the outbound call. So um, they give a little bit of guidance there, but not a whole lot more. Right, right. I mean, in, yeah, as a general matter, this is not really a lot to go on uh, uh, for providers out there. So, you know, I'm wondering, Steve, do you, you have any other recommendations for what these programs should entail? Yeah, we've, we've given it some thought. And, and so, <laughs> um, you know, we'll, we'll put in the show note links to both our summary of the stir shaken obligations and a checklist, which provides a few questions that uh, providers might want to look at as they are developing their robocall mitigation plans. But I'll give you a few highlights, a few things to think about here. Um, the first one is these mitigation programs are going to be tailored to a customers, uh, to a carrier rather, to their particular services and their particular mix of customers. So it's not really going to be a cookie cutter situation where the obligations are the same. What you need to do if you're a small MVNO reseller is different 
and what you're going to need to do if you are a service provider to the call center industry and are um, enabling outbound calls that can be high volume calls. So it really will change significantly from one provider to another. With that in mind though, let me take a, a couple of different things that we've got. And you know, just so you know, these are gonna be in the show notes. We um, have some ideas for you on this. Among the things there, you know, a couple of things. You mentioned call analytics. That is an important element of this. I encourage providers to look at the analytics information um, that is available. Initially, the rollout of analytics was focused on the terminating end for providing information to the called party about what the call looks like and for um, determining whether to block those, those calls or how to label those calls. But that information is also useful on the originating end. And more and more of those analytics providers are offering services to originating carriers to allow you to understand what your number, what the reputation is of the numbers and the calls that you're sending out, or when you're taking on a new customer and they're porting, porting numbers, you can get a chance to see what those numbers, um, what reputation they have within the industry. So that's one thing. Um, the second thing is some, something that providers are doing, at least in some elements, which is more due diligence on your customer, knowing your customer. Um, Generally, this is done often for credit and fraud reasons, but that inquiry should be expanded to look at the customer's reputation within the industry. Do they have investigations? Do they have complaints? Um, are they the subject of previous enforcement actions? Things like that um, should be part of that know your customer element. Um, and I'll point out know your customer is also necessary for implementing the stir shake and to be able to provide the attestation as to who the customer is. So it has multiple benefits there. Um, next, I would say it's worthwhile to go through and look at your contracts, your service arrangements, your acceptable use policies, your anti-fraud policies, and give those a good update uh, before you um, certify to your mitigation plan. Those Elements there will have some elements that address improper behavior, harassing calls or illegal calls. But in addition to that, you should look at ways in which to change that. And maybe you will add provisions on short duration calls, which is typical of many high volume outbound calling, not necessarily illegal calls, but um, it can be typical or an indicator of that high volume calling. So if you don't have a short duration call policy, maybe you want to have one or develop one um, in that. In addition, you want to look at those contracts for your suspension or termination of service provisions, envisioning the scenario where you get those notices from the FCC, like the, the ones that we were talking about at the beginning of this, that say block this customer within 48 hours. Well, do you have a contractual right to do so? Um, you need to make sure your contracts cover that. Uh, next item on my list here, I would say, is consider your call blocking policies. Again, many call blocking issues have been looked at on the terminating end, um, but there might be reasons to block calls on the originating end as well, particularly some that maybe were covered by the very first call blocking the order the FCC had 
which talks about calls that come out with a um, invalid number, you know, all zeros or all nines um, or not the correct number of digits under the North American numbering plan. Um, consider whether to allow those calls to continue and to go in the system or, you know, have some kind of a policy that will uh, prevent those from occurring. Um, and then second to last request, recommendation here is that you're going to be filing and certifying to your robocall mitigation practices. Um, you'll want to develop policies to document your compliance and to keep records of what your practices are. In particular, things like responding to the industry tradeback, traceback group requests. If you get those, you should know who's going to be handling those. Uh, you should document that. You should have some kind of record of how many requests you get, and you know if you take action based upon those, that would be helpful to know and to recognize in your mitigation plan. Um, and then, lastly, you know, develop a clear compliance team and make sure that you know who has what responsibilities. That you train people on what those responsibilities are, and that you have some degree of overlap, so you don't have a situation where one person and only one person knows about issue X and if they were to leave or to, uh, you know, something were to happen to them, then the company doesn't have that capability. You never want to have that kind of situation. So think uh, hard about your compliance team and who should be on it and how you're going to make that sustainable. So those are a few of the high level things, Chris, that I would recommend be included in a plan. Um, that you will be filing sometime this summer. Mm -hmm. Are there are there any other special circumstances that our listeners should know about um, uh, when they're putting together these plans? Yeah, I, I think there's a couple of things, Chris. Um, you know, first, I, you know, I alluded to resellers or MVNOs, um, and you know, though those providers should look at their mitigation program in a slightly different lens because a reseller and MVNO doesn't control the network infrastructure that's involved. So they're exempt from the stir, shake, and mandate. Um, but you're going to want to coordinate with your underlying carrier and perhaps adopt contract provisions that give you some protection here or some assurance that things are going to be taken because you want to make sure that the underlying carrier is capable of you know, giving your outbound calls the proper attestation under that stir shaken program, but also then um, able to take action if you direct them to for any problematic traffic that's coming across your network. Um, so make sure that um, you have something in place. Those resellers are not exempt from the mitigation plan program. So at a minimum, you're going to have to do things like be able to respond to traceback requests, be able to respond to law enforcement requests, uh, respond to the FCC if you get any of these um, notices. So things like that, that's the reseller side. The other thing I wanna point out is those entities who are exclusive wholesalers. You might say, well, you know, look, I don't need to do anything because I don't originate calls. I just take calls, I'm the middleman in this stream. So all I need to do is pass them along and, and that's it. And 
you know, to a large extent that, you know, I think is, you know, a, a fair statement of part of their obligation. You know, you have lesser control, you have less information about who the originating caller is and um, what, you know, what the, the nature of the traffic is, et cetera. But you do have contractual relationships with those customers, those carrier customers of yours that are sending you traffic. And more and more with these obligations to block traffic that um, is potentially the source of illegal robocalling traffic, I think exclusive wholesalers or these intermediate providers need to develop contractual measures to prevent the origination of legal illegal calls by your reseller customers. So you need to have something in place to detect those and something in place to allow you to uh, terminate service or block traffic or what have you in order to effectively mitigate illegal traffic if it is transiting your network. Um, and, and then lastly, Chris, I guess I'll just I'll, I'll run through this piece of it here. You know, we, we talked a little bit about um, uh, when this is gonna be filed, but um, we, and we know that won't be until the summer, but you know, there is, I just wanna say there's a lot of work that can right. and should be done, right? Oh, um, we're, we're encouraging folks to come and contact us as soon as possible or start thinking about these issues as soon as possible. Isn't that right? Right. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, and the FCC is, as we said at the top, um, uh, Acting Chairwoman Rosa Worsall is, is in, intending to be pretty aggressive here, sort of maintain the aggressive posture that they've been taking. Um, the FCC rules you know, contemplates um, that the uh, the agency is going to continue to send out those types of cease and desist letters that um, you had mentioned. And those are, you know, kind of the extreme. There's implicate, the providers were actually sort of implicated in originating the calls themselves. But um, we, you know, we think that there's going to be more of these letters coming out. And even uh, before the actual requirement to file the certification and the robocall mitigation program, it would be worthwhile for providers to have uh, steps and, uh, and processes in place that will allow them to, to um, follow through on those requests. Um, but, you know, once it all goes into effect, once they have to file, start filing certifications, um, then like we said, 90 days after their calls start being blocked by downstream providers. So you want to make sure to have everything in place before we get to that point. And uh, it's coming up quickly. Yeah. 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 And actually, you know, we didn't mention this in this, I'm surprised, but you know, because um, Chris, you, you and I usually do when we're talking about this, but remember once you filed something like this with the FCC, it provides something for the FCC to look at, to hold you to it. So the other reason to start now is that you want to make sure you're developing policies that you actually are implementing and can implement and continue to implement. Because if you filed a mitigation plan that says, I'm going to do X, and the FCC asks to say, show me that you're doing X and you're no longer doing that, that's going to be a problem. So, right. So that, that, that really gets at the, at the, uh, the non-cookie cutter um, point that you made earlier. You, you know, you 
it's not clear yet whether these programs are going to be public or or not what what other filers file but you know you providers can't just kind of take that and and copy and paste it and and send that in if they haven't really thought about you know what they're doing and uh, making sure that they're they're actually following through on those um, obligations that they set for themselves yep it's a very good point chris very good so um that is a, a pretty good overview at this point of what the robocall mitigation plans uh, will look like and some of the things that, that voice service providers should be thinking about as they are developing their plans and uh, preparing to submit the certification whenever we get the deadline on that. So I want to thank everybody for listening to this. I thank you for uh, following Kelly Dry's Full Spectrum Podcast. I encourage you to subscribe to our podcasts so you'll receive our, our updates immediately as we are doing things. We will be continuing to follow, follow the TCPA and anti-robocall activities, and we will be back, I'm sure, fairly soon with another episode of our Inside the TCPA series. So thank you all for listening. The views and ideas expressed on this program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views of Kelly Dry and Warren LLP, its staff, or management.